0: We're going to read from the Bible now, and we're going to read Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through to verse 9. If you don't have a Bible there, it'll be on the back of the screen. I should also say before I read this Bible, I've got some keys someone left to their car under the sign-in sheet. So if you need to drive home today, come and see me after the service. All right, let's read this verse 1.
1: Uh, My name is Sam, it's great to be with you this morning, and it's it's my privilege this morning to be opening up God's Word in this part in Acts chapter 9 this morning. Um, Please do keep your Bibles open if you've got them with you, Um, but the the words will be up on the screen as we go. Um, But before we start, how about I pray for us, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we we ask that this morning you might be with us as we we, uh, unpack this part of your Word. Uh, Father, please, uh, please, please be at work in our hearts, in our minds. Help us to see, help us to listen, and help us to respond uh, to these very real and living words this morning. And We pray that you might help us to see Jesus clearly this morning too, we ask in his name. Amen. Uh, Lauren and I, we recently watched The Amazing Race Australia, and if you've ever watched the show, you'll know that the contestants are on one heck of a journey. They're on the road to something better. And what I love about watching The Amazing Race is seeing how much this road, this journey that they're on, changes the people who are on it. They, they get, all get to see things and do things that they've never seen or done before. They're challenged and they're pushed in all kinds of new ways. Their whole lives are completely changed by the experience. And this kind of show makes for good TV, doesn't it? Because not only do we love watching other people experience these life-changing moments, but we love to imagine ourselves in their shoes, don't we? So many times during the show, I turned to Lauren and I I was just like, that is so cool. I wish that I was doing that right now. We love to imagine ourselves in their shoes because in some way or another, there's something about ourselves we want to change, isn't there? None of us are 100 percent happy with who we are it's a very normal human desire to want to change but where do we need to go to find real lasting change does being on the the amazing race for a season or or on any journey for that matter actually bring about real lasting change or do we need to be looking somewhere else well that's the question that we're faced with today as we read this story from acts chapter 9. Now, I'm a very visual person, and I love movies, and so I picture what's going on in this story as as if it was scenes from a movie, and there's kind of three big scenes uh, going on in this story today. What are they? Well, the first scene starts in verse 1, where we get to meet this guy named Saul. And this would be a pretty dark scene, wouldn't it? Because Saul, Saul's a real shady character here. I mean, just before this, in chapter 8, verse 1, we're told that Saul approved of one of Jesus' disciples, Stephen, getting stoned to death. And then straight after that, in chapter 8, verse 3, it says that Saul began to destroy the church. He was going from house to house, dragging off both men and women from the church and putting them in prison. And then here in chapter 9, verse 1, we're told that he still breathing out murderous threats against Jesus' disciples. Saul's a real shady character. I can picture him here, stepping stepping into a dark room with just a few flickering candles on the walls. Ominous music rising in the background as he goes up to the high priest, a real power figure in Jerusalem at the time. And there's no doubt other prominent men in the room with the high priest, standing with him. This is a real power move from Saul. Saul then asks the high priest for letters to give to the Jewish synagogues in Damascus. That's, that's the meeting place of the Jews. These letters will give Saul permission to drag off anyone who's claiming to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and bring them back to, the, to Jerusalem, to the capital, because that's where they'll be punished the worst. And you can kind of see a menacing grin spread across Saul's face as he's handed these letters, can't you? all power has now been transferred to him the high priest is backing him saul's now a powerful weapon against christians and there's nothing the christians will be able to do if saul finds them in damascus the worst part is that saul thinks he's serving god by going and rounding up the christians and throwing them in prison it's like, dude, are you, are you blind? Like, don't you see how, how this is the opposite of what God wants? As if God wants you thinking murderous thoughts about people. Look at how dark and twisted your heart is. This week we, we watched uh, The Lion King as a family, and you, you know how Scar is just out to get power, become the next king no matter what it takes. He doesn't care who he might hurt along the way. He's a mean dude with lots of nasty tricks up his sleeve, wanting to get rid of the good guys so that he can have all the power. Saul's like Scar from The Lion King. Except this isn't a cartoon about lions, is it? This is a real story about a a real man with with real power who thinks nothing can stand in his way. And then from verse 3 we see this Saul, the most powerful and threatening Jew in the land is on his way to Damascus to put an end to the Christian movement. And What's going to happen when he gets there? Well, suddenly a light flashes all around him and Saul falls to the ground and a voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Suddenly the most powerful Jew in the land is robbed of his power and stopped in his tracks. Jesus has stepped in. He's the boss here, and Saul's powerless in his presence. And suddenly Saul realizes that all the rumors are true. Jesus really did come back to life after death. Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really is the most powerful man in existence. And Saul's actions against the Christians have been a personal attack against Jesus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so just like that, in blazing light and power, Jesus, the risen king, has got Saul on his face in the dirt. It's an incredible scene, isn't it? And you can imagine how Saul must be fearing for his life right now. It's pretty obvious that the author wants us to see that Saul's not the good guy in this story. This guy needs to seriously change his ways. But there's something about this scene and how it's written, we're not really meant to hate Saul, though, are we? We're almost meant to feel sorry for him. He's almost a likable bad guy. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because Saul maybe reminds us a bit of of ourselves? His character here, it's a bit of a mirror for us, isn't it? I mean, you might not be a murderer at heart, but there's a darkness inside Saul that you can relate to. There's enough of a disrespect for God in your heart that would absolutely cause cause you to fall on your knees if Jesus appeared to you like this. Saul's relatable here, isn't he? Often we're quick to judge him, quick to point the finger at him for who he is, but we actually stop and realize that our hearts are just as capable of rejecting God and just as capable of thinking that we're serving God when actually we're opposing his ways. Suddenly we've become blind to our own darkness and Saul becomes a relatable character, a mirror for who we are. And just like Saul we see that our ways come up against Jesus. So what is this all-powerful risen King Jesus going to do to people like Saul and to people like us? How's Jesus going to react to the fact that we've been disrespecting God and blinded by the darkness in our hearts? Surely we're done for. Surely Saul's about to about to lose his life, his life's about to end. But no, the unexpected happens. Jesus doesn't destroy Saul with all his power, but instead says to him in verse 6, get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Jesus gives Saul a second chance. It's as if he's willing to just forgive and forget all the horrible things that Saul's been doing. Is that really what Jesus is doing here? Can he do that? It looks like he can. Before, before Saul can leave, Jesus wants to teach him a lesson. He wants to show Saul how the darkness in his heart has blinded him and led him astray. And so in verses 8 and 9, we see that Jesus calls Saul to literally go blind for three whole days. This is a pretty incredible first scene, isn't it? It's a, it's a supernatural event. I mean, far out. First a light from heaven flashes all around Saul, then a vo- the, Jesus' voice then starts speaking, and now Saul goes blind. He's just plunged into darkness without any warning at all. I mean, how would that make you feel? What thoughts would you have if you were suddenly blinded for three whole days? No wonder Saul doesn't eat or drink anything afterwards. Going blind, being plunged into darkness like that would be terrifying. Where I grew up, we got a lot of thunderstorms over summer that were pretty severe, pretty scary, especially when you're a kid. But you know what made these storms even scarier was when we'd suddenly lose power to the house. Like We'd be sitting there at dinner as a family or watching a movie after dinner and then suddenly a flash of light All the power goes out, all the lights, the TV, everything goes black, and we'd be plunged into darkness completely unexpected. And as a kid, that feeling was pretty freaky. It was scary. But How much scarier do you think this must be for Saul right now? He's got no idea this is coming. And suddenly he's plunged into darkness with no idea how long this blindness will last. As far as Saul knows, this could be forever it'll be a terrifying experience jesus has completely left him powerless what could possibly happen next well from verse 10 the story changes pace as as we then enter scene two we're now in damascus and we're with a disciple of jesus named ananias Now, we're not told if this guy is awake or if he's asleep, but either way, Jesus calls to him in a vision. That's right, the supernatural, it's not over yet. Ananias calls Jesus. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Jesus is asking Ananias, the Christian Ananias, to go and help this Saul guy? You know, the Saul who's been attacking Christians? I mean, how would you respond if you were Ananias in this situation? Ananias isn't going to want to help someone who's been trying to attack Christians, his own people. And that's exactly how he responds to Jesus from verse 13. Lord, he says... I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias isn't too keen on Jesus' plan to help this guy out. But but Jesus knows Ananias' heart, and he knows how he's feeling about it all. And so he says to him from verse 15, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to all the people of Israel and I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name now that's pretty extraordinary isn't it not only was Saul given a second chance but God actually wants to use him in telling both Jews and non-Jews about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done God's actually transforming Saul into becoming one of the people Saul hated most a Christian. You could say that the hunter has become the hunted. Because no longer will Saul be persecuting the church, but he'll now belong to it. No longer will he be fighting against Jesus' disciples, he'll be fighting with them. It's an incredible role reversal. But this role reversal will come at a cost. It'll cost Saul his life. As Jesus says to him, Saul must suffer for the name of Jesus. I can almost picture Ananias at this point, smiling to himself at those words. After everything Saul's been putting the disciples through, maybe some suffering wouldn't be so bad for him. But then the very next thing that we see in this scene is almost as miraculous as the stuff before, because Ananias just trusts in Jesus' words. He gets up, goes to the house where Saul is, he puts his hands on Saul and calls him a brother. Brother. I mean, up to this point, Saul's been the biggest enemy to the church, and yet Ananias is willing to show him love and acceptance. And why not? Why not? He knows that Saul's now part of the family, part of God's family, because Ananias knows that Jesus has already accepted Saul as one of his own. So Ananias here does the same. Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, the Lord has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. And just like that, Saul is pulled out of darkness. And we're told in verse 18 that something like scales immediately fall from his eyes and he can see again. If you've ever been in a blackout uh, for hours and then suddenly the power turns back on, the lights all come back on, it's such a moment of relief, isn't it? But what Saul experiences here is a relief beyond comparison. His blindness is over. His days of darkness are forever behind him because the Holy Spirit has come to not only open his eyes physically, but spiritually as well. Saul's now able to see the truth of who Jesus really is as his God, as his rescuer, and as his brother. Saul's been pulled out of the darkness that was once his life, Rescued by the God he once ignored and he's been brought into the family of God where he'll never again walk blindly or live in darkness. And so to show that he now belongs to the family of God, to the church of Jesus Christ, Saul is baptized. He's got a new identity now. He's no longer one persecuting the people of God, but he's one who's been purchased by God. And so he spends the next few days with the disciples in Damascus, eating and drinking with them, getting back his strength, and no doubt hearing all their stories about how God's been at work in their lives too. And then the story then finishes with one final scene. And in scene three, which starts in verse 20, Saul's now preaching to the Jews, all about how Jesus is the Son of God. And did you notice in verse 20 where Saul is preaching? That's right. He's in the synagogue, the meeting place of the Jews. Now, this was going to be the place where he'd bring the letters from the high priest, giving them a message, allowing him to drag Christians away to prison. And instead, he's here as a Christian, giving them a very different message. He's now telling them the good news of Jesus. That Jesus really is the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose back to life so that people like you and me could become children of God. Then in verse 22, we see that Saul's become powerful again. But this time, his power hasn't come from a dark place in his heart. Now, in verse 22, it says that Saul grew and more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He's now been given power by the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus, to go and prove to the world that Jesus truly is the one who is all-powerful and who wants to use his power to rescue people like us. Because Saul's learnt that real, lasting change only comes through the power of Jesus. Real, lasting change only comes through the power of Jesus he tasted that firsthand on the road to Damascus, and again when he was welcomed into the family of God. Saul's experience, the real lasting change can only come through the power of Jesus, and now he wants to tell everyone this good news. Because verse 22, it might be the end of the scene, but it's not the end of the story, is it? Later in Acts, we learn that this Saul, he he changes his name to Paul. And this is the same Paul who writes Romans, you know, the letter that we've been looking at together as a church. And he also writes so much more of the New Testament, doesn't he? Paul becomes Jesus' instrument in proclaiming his name to the world, just as Jesus said he would back in verse 15. Paul makes it known to the world the good news, the good news that if you're blind about knowing who God is and you have an unlovable darkness in your heart, Jesus is giving you a place in God's family. He's willing to forgive you. He died on the cross to show you how far He's willing to go for you. And He came back to life to show you that if He's got the power to defeat death, then He's got the power to change you. He's got the power to change who you are. And so now, now we get to see what this life-changing moment for Paul has got to do with us. Because although we're not murderers and we're not wanting to kill Christians, we still, like Saul, have a darkness and a blindness that we desperately need Jesus to fix. We're all guilty of ignoring God and disrespecting Him. We're all guilty of making selfish choices that, they actually don't honour God, and they don't honour other people. We don't really deserve to have a relationship with God, do we? I mean, God's holy. We sung about that earlier today, which means that God's choices are always good. His thoughts and actions are never, ever evil, and he's always, He always, always, always does what's right. People like Paul and people like us We don't really deserve to have a relationship with this God, do we? And yet Jesus shows us by the way he forgives Paul and gives him a place in God's family that there is no one too evil, no one too broken, no one too far away from God that can't be forgiven and brought into the family of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has the power to change even the worst of us and such a Such a change can only come through the power of Jesus. And so this is the first thing that we should take away from today's story. That you're not too evil, you're not too broken, and you're not too far away from God to be changed by the power of Jesus. You're not too evil, not too broken, not too far away from God to be changed by the power of Jesus. And this then shows us the second thing we need to take away today. That that if Jesus' power can change someone like Paul, the worst of sinners, then we've got to see that Jesus' power isn't just for those who grow up in Christian families. Jesus stepped into Paul's life and took a man who was bent on wanting to see Christians die and willingly brought him into his own family, the family of God. And this means that God can and he does show love and acceptance to the most unlikely people. Not only that, but he can also work suddenly and unexpectedly. There was no long process of conversion for Paul, was there? This means that you don't need to despair when when you're telling other people about this good news or when you're praying for those in your life to come to know Jesus because God might actually decide to work suddenly and powerfully in their lives, too. Such good news. And I know this to be true because my conversion was like that. It was sudden and unexpected. I grew up hating church. And when I finished school, I strongly, strongly decided that I wanted nothing to do with Christianity, especially Jesus. But when I was 22, a friend of mine invited me to come along to her church. And I reluctantly, very reluctantly said yes. And I told myself that I wasn't doing this for me, I was doing it for her. When I was there, the preacher got up and he started teaching from, a, from the parable of the lost son, from Luke 15. He began to explain how, like the son in that story, we've all turned our back on God. We've all run away from our heavenly father and none of us deserve his love because we We've all broken our relationship with God. And I knew that this is what I'd done. But then he started to talk about Jesus and how Jesus came to earth to fix this, this relationship that we'd broken. How Jesus died on the cross to pay for what we'd done to God and how Jesus rose back to life so that we could start living forever with God as our Father. There and then, as tears were running down my cheeks, I gave my life to Jesus. Because I knew that Jesus had done it all for me. And I knew that real, lasting change had come to me through the power of Jesus. It was sudden and it was unexpected. My friend had no idea that it would happen like that, especially not that quickly. Jesus' power isn't just for those who grow up in Christian families. God can, and He does, show love and acceptance to the most unlikely people. And sometimes He can work suddenly and unexpectedly. Let this truth, let this truth drive you to tell others about the good news of Jesus and drive you to pray for those in your life to come to know Him. Because there is no one too unlikely for jesus power to change let's pray together our father in heaven we thank you so much for this story this morning for reminding us of the power of jesus it was able to take a man like saul who who hated christians and who wanted to see them die he t- it, the power of Jesus took a man like that and brought him into your family and you showed him love and acceptance through Jesus. Well, this is, in, this is an incredible transformation that we see in, in Saul's life and we thank you so much for the, for the way that you use Saul, that Paul would write these letters to us and encourage us to keep going as Christians and, and to come to know the good news of Jesus. And we thank you so much that this morning we're able to spend this time learning about the good news of what Jesus has done, that his power... And change even the worst of us. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who feels like they are too far away from you, that they might see that your power through Jesus is a power that can change them and, and invite them into your family. Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning that as we hear this good news and we hear of the power of Jesus, Father, that you would, you would help us, you would drive us to, to tell others about this good news and that you would drive us to pray for those in our in our lives, our neighbours, our friends, our family, our work colleagues, our, our friends at school, Father, that we, we would pray for those people to come to know Jesus because we know that Jesus' power is powerful enough to change even the worst of us. Father, remind us of this power again this week as we go about our day-to-day lives. Help us to reflect on this, this amazing work that you've done in the, in the life of Saul and in the life of so many since him. And we ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.